Hello and welcome to the Sweet Spot on a Farm episode 45 part 2. If you just randomly tuned in and have no idea what this podcast is about, the Sweet Spot is all about natural health. I talk to natural health and fitness professionals and anyone whose business and life's mission it is to help us support our health in as natural ways as possible. And the way I'm supporting my health right now is drinking a lot of sage, rosemary, thyme and um, lemon balm and all the good antiviral herbs to make sure that I will not get affected by any of the other viruses that are going around at the minute. Now before I let you listen to this episode, all you need to know is that this is the second part of my interview with a nutritionist Jane McClanahan. So if you missed the first part, I recommend that you go back and tune in because we talked about the challenges of getting nutrition right and the importance of connecting to our food. In this episode, we will talk about female health and diet shaming, amongst other things. And Jane will share one of her favorite plant-based recipes at the end. I hope you'll enjoy it. Um, The other thing I just want to say about that as well is that if we're buying our food and it does still have the earth on it, it's better for our microbiome as well. And I think we've become so clean and so like everything has to be disinfected and bleached to within an inch of its life that that is not good for us. And we there's a lot of talk in recent years about the microbiome and we all know how important probiotic or supporting our probiotic levels are for our well-being. It's not just about taking probiotics and it's not just about eating your cultured and your fermented foods. It's also about getting your hands on the earth, you know, getting your hands dirty and, and letting kids play outside. And if you've got kids, get them gardening, get them even growing something small like um, salad in and in a, like rocket in a pot in the summertime or growing peas in the summertime and just getting them connected to there's where your food comes from and get them get their hands in the earth so good for their microbiome <laughs> we're too far too clean aren't yeah. we <laughs> yeah yeah and that's i've talked about it but with different people on the podcast before that um yes i i, I don't understand how today's kids they don't seem to have any fun outdoors the way we did. Mm. Like we would roll in dirt and play in the mud, and it was okay. Yeah. My, our parents weren't freaking out; they were encouraging it. And today, you see parents telling kids off for playing on the ground and rolling on the ground, and don't touch this and don't touch that, don't sit down, don't run, don't yeah, don't breathe, don't have fun. <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it's such a shame. Mm-hmm. It is surely it's not good for their health yeah physical and mental yeah exactly so get outside and as adults as well I think sometimes we we're not outside enough are we so we're kind of we drive to work and we maybe walk a few meters to our office and we sit inside and we we just especially in the winter time we're kind of cocooned in the indoors and we need as humans we need the fresh air and we need be outside and near nature and just makes you feel so much better whether you're a child or an adult it absolutely does um recently i started um training for my walk in september and so i gradually build up my walks every day and i started walking every day for it started with half an hour then an hour and i'm doing two hour walks and i try to do it every day of the week if i can um, and maybe give myself a day break here and there. But when I don't do it, I don't just miss the walking. It's the fresh air mm-hmm. that I miss. It's it's the, the being outside and feeling the wind on, in your face and feeling the cold air. And it's and even the rain. Yes, and even <laughs> yes. the rain. I don't mind walking in the rain. It's yeah. just water. It's not going to yeah. melt. It's There's something about being in nature and... And being exposed to the environment outdoors that really makes us live I think better. So. It makes you think more clear. It it, it makes you happier. Mm-hmm. It it certainly makes me feel healthier. And it's it's I, I know that if I don't spend certain amount of time every day outside, 
I, I don't feel right. Yes. You feel like something's missing. Yeah, yeah. definitely. It's like an essential nutrient, isn't yes, it? totally. <laughs> it's, it's an essential part of life. Mm-hmm. Ne- never mind the healthy food. I mean, you, you, can, you can eat as healthy as you want, but unless you have the fresh air, the oxygen, unless you breathe properly and you spend some time outside, and unless you're happy, yeah, um, it's never going to work overall for you. Yes. It, it, it needs all the elements. It does need all the elements, I agree, yeah. Absolutely. I do a boot camp class a few times a week, and it, I do it indoors once a week. And the indoors one, I really... Yeah, I, I like it, you know, it's good. But the outdoor one afterwards, I just feel... oh. Like, it changes your energy. Totally changes your energy. In a good way. <laughs> yeah, I know exercising outside is just amazing. Mm. And I know that people often complain we're in Ireland and the weather's not great. It doesn't matter. It that's doesn't actually. Matter. Do you know what? I think that's part of the fun. Actually, sometimes when you come home and you are, you've had a really good workout and it's been absolutely chucking it down and you're soaked through, it's a real sense of achievement. It makes you feel alive. <laughs> Plus, the air is so much fresher. You don't want to be running outside or exercising outside in a 40 degree heat yeah exactly it's so much better here yeah, I love it like, I don't know what people constantly have about the weather here I love it I would not want to go and live in Spain well it's different every day that's the good thing about it yeah well that's true there you go you don't get bored at least let's uh let's get back to nutrition um there's one particular area actually of nutrition that I'm really interested in and it doesn't seem to be talked about enough, and mm-hmm. that's women's health. Mm-hmm. We are all individuals, whether we're male or female, whatever age we are, whatever stage of life, everybody's individual, but there's a particular um, thing about the way women need to support their health because of our hormones or our cycle. And that's very different to the nutritional needs of men I think and and also because our hormones our levels change during our cycle every month and also it changes with age as well with different stages of life we are at and um, whether you're pregnant or just given birth you're breastfeeding you've just maybe lost weight or gained weight or or you're going through menopause there are so many hormonal changes throughout our life and throughout um, our months that I feel we really need to support it with the way we're eating and treating our body. But it feels like there's very little information um, that would help us do that. Mm-hmm. Um, would you shed some light on that? And, and what do we need at a particular time of, of the month? And should we eat certain um, supplements or should we eat certain foods? at one time and should we leave out certain foods and mm-hmm. another what is the secret well one of the things that even I think you're absolutely right that as women hormones have a huge impact on our well-being and even from puberty so if you think about for example I was talking to my friend and her daughter who is um, she's 12 and she is thinking about changing her diet but she's also so we we're talking about kind of hormones and puberty and all all of that and why it is so important for her to really think about getting a balance and all the different food groups and why they're important for her. So even from that age, right through, as women, there is so many different variables. So the key, I guess, the way to think about it is the key nutrients that we need throughout life, obviously iron. Iron is the one that we always hear about, isn't it? And it's always the one oh, if you're feeling a bit low energy before or after your period, then you take an iron supplement. But it's not the only thing. So it's things like, for example, we need to think about supporting our liver because there's a pathway in our liver called the sulfation pathway that helps our body to process hormones once we have made use use of them in one cycle so that we can clear them and kind of, you know, set the, the cycle of hormones up for the next cycle. So the... That particular pathway is our sulfation pathway. So vegetables and, and foods that help support that are things like broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, onions, garlic, leeks. They are so essential for women's health. And um, 
Also, in terms of our environment, there's a lot of substances in our environment that have a knock-on effect on our hormones, a negative knock-on effect on our hormones. So, for example, pesticide residues, uh, petrochemicals and plasticizers and all these things that are in our environment play havoc with our hormones. So supporting the liver and making sure that that pathway doesn't get too sticky and that we're bringing in foods to keep that as well as well fueled, I suppose, as possible, can help make sure that we're not getting that buildup of hormones. The other thing in terms of women's health that isn't really spoken about, I don't think enough, is the whole idea about phytoestrogens and xenoestrogens. So those, those hormone mimics that I was talking about, if you imagine for a hormone to work, it has to be plugged in to a receptor. So imagine if we've got oestrogen. Oestrogen doesn't work unless it's actually plugged in. So once oestrogen is plugged into a receptor in our body, whether it's on breast tissue, ovarian tissue, uterine tissue, it gets plugged in and that has the effect almost like an LED light. So a normal level for our body. We come along then with these hormone mimics, these environmental hormone mimics, and they get plugged into the receptors, but they've got a really strong estrogenic effect. So we want to reduce our exposure to those as much as possible to avoid estrogen dominance. And that is um, trying to go organic as much as you can, trying to reduce your levels of your plastic, not just for environmental levels um, reasons, but also for health reasons. And thinking about even just what you put in your skin, you know, the, the chemicals that you put in your skin, try and go as natural as you possibly can with those. But also there's foods that get plugged into those receptors and they have a very gentle oestrogen effect. So if our oestrogen levels are too high, so say for example if we've got something like PMS quite often is because of high oestrogen or fibroids for example or endometriosis. These little, these little hormone um, balancers, which are called phytoestrogens, get plugged into receptors and they gently reduce our level of oestrogen because they're competing with those mega um, xenoestrogens. So they come from things like beans and lentils and um, seeds, in particular chickpeas, so hummus is super for women's health, and flaxseed. And they're just really simple things that we can include in our diet. If then, say for example, if I'm talking to a woman who is perimenopause or menopausal, then I want her to eat more of those foods as well because the receptors, the estrogen in her body is starting to decline. And it's the difference, it's the kind of difference between our estrogen levels and our progesterone levels that means that people have perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. It's not that there's anything wrong with your body. It is not, menopause is not an illness. It is just that things are, are imbalanced and we can use food and nutrition to help support that balance. So again, bringing in those phytoestrogens at that age and stage of life is really essential as well. The other nutrient or the other food group, I suppose, nutrient that I would really encourage women to think about is magnesium and especially premenstrually and especially if premenstrually you crave chocolate. You know, some people might do. I know I do. And um, especially if you get cramps. So if you get back pain or if you get a lot of um, kind of crampy sort of feeling before or during your period, then magnesium is really essential. Lack of magnesium will uh, result in fatigue, muscle cramps and also anxiety. So if you think also about PMS, it's such a such an acute... Uh, a kind of collection of different symptoms and it affects different women differently. Some people have absolutely no symptoms and other women really struggle. And magnesium is a real key nutrient. So I would use that, yes, through the diet. So through things like a lot of dark, really dark green leafy vegetables in the diet and a lot of nuts and seeds, in the, not a lot of nuts and seeds, but some nuts and seeds in the diet. But also I would use that as a supplement premenstrually and maybe for a week after um, the period as well just to kind of help with the the progesterone balance and help with the the cramping and um perhaps fatigue and things so there's so much that we can do through our diet through our lifestyle to support women's health but the other thing to remember is that all our hormones are in a really finely tuned balance so if one set of hormones is out of kilter everything else because we it's like a domino effect so an example that a lot of women will recognise is 
our stress hormones. So when we are really stressed or really anxious, a lot of women would find that they would skip a period, for example, or their periods would change, their, their flow might change or something um, like that, or their flow might become very light, as an example. So when we are in that kind of fight or flight mode, we end up in a state that's known as the cortisol steel. So the body prioritizes the production of stress hormones over the production of sex hormones. So anything that we can do to help reduce stress is going to have a huge impact on our hormone levels. And that can be, you know, there's a lot of talk around mindfulness and it's been a real buzzword over the last few years. But mindfulness means different things to different people. So for me, mindfulness is being out in nature. It is doing meditation, but it's also being in the kitchen with the music on, dancing around the kitchen and making something really nice for dinner, you know, or for somebody else it could be arts and crafts, painting, um, anything creative. It could be reading a book. It could be sitting outside and having a cup of tea. Anything that just helps you to be in the here and now, switch you out of that fight or flight out of that high cortisol and help just to make you feel calmer has a huge impact on our hormone levels and it's something that is not often talked about and it's sometimes it's just a wee forgotten link in terms of women's health. I also heard something like that if somebody's on supplements during a period a woman should take twice as much because you expel um, twice as much your body's obviously detoxing and clearing stuff out and um, what about that and what about things like um should we think about things like b12 for example mm -hmm. and should women who are on different diets think about their cycle in different terms for example um if a female is um during her period and she's vegan should she think about supplementation a little bit more carefully than somebody who does eat some animal produce and um, if a woman is eating meat um, during her normal diet should she maybe think about easing off animal protein during her period or are there any sort of tricks? Um, again it's really individual but the one thing I would say is I would not recommend anybody to double their supplements because I think we kind of think about nutritional supplements as being something a bit you know Yes, we take them and yes, they, they can support our health and well-being. But I think sometimes we underestimate actually the power of those supplements. So I would, and you can overdose on supplements. So I wouldn't recommend anybody to take double dose. Um, there are certain nutrients that are important at different times in the cycle. For example, the magnesium and also with magnesium, actually B6 is important because those two together help balance progesterone, <clears throat> which tends to be lower relative to to estrogen um in terms of somebody maybe who is on a vegan diet b12 iron zinc and omega-3 are the ones that i would really focus on also vitamin d or vitamin d3 um but i would focus in on them right throughout the cycle so i know that there is a lot of talk about timing nutrients at different times in the cycle but nutrients don't just have an impact on, in the here and now you know it's it's kind of it's a an accumulative effect for a lot of those supplements and a lot of those nutrients so I would like to like to have for most people I think that we should supplement all the time maybe add in a couple of things if you know what you're doing that's really important as well maybe add in something like the magnesium and b6 premenstrually but right throughout the month I would encourage women to take a really good quality multivitamin and mineral that is appropriate to their age that is appropriate whether they are following a vegan diet or not and maybe taking your vitamin d between october and may but take it right throughout the month so i don't really agree with taking kind of take, coming off things and coming on things necessarily um at different times of the month i just have never used that in my practice and you know i've had i've had good results with given supplements right throughout the month so I don't really in terms of, of the foods that we eat then yes especially if you have maybe maybe for example if you're listening to this and you have something like well let's take endometriosis as an example for women with endometriosis that can have a huge impact on digestive health so in that case one of the things that that women would really need to think about is increasing their soluble fiber so things like more pulses 
more root vegetables, for example, maybe more oats, possibly, depending on what their, their diet is, um, maybe more flaxseed, maybe, maybe some psyllium husks in the diet to make sure that their digestive tract is moving really efficiently um, because that can be so painful, like excruciatingly painful. So that's one thing that I would think maybe before the period about increasing. If you're eating meat, always go good quality meat of course um but one of the things that, that definitely about timing is your anything that is cured i'm not really that keen on those anyway but bacon and ham and sausages because of the high salt levels there salt competes with zinc so your sodium or the, the if if we're eating a lot of salted foods or a lot of cured foods in our diet that can reduce our zinc levels and zinc is another key nutrient for female hormone balance so just being a bit careful about those types of foods also things like salted crisps and olives and if you're craving those types of things especially premenstrually it could be a sign that your body needs more zinc so i think it's so individual it's really hard to say for everyone and i think that's also that's also where i think we're going to see real changes in nutrition it's already happening and we're going to see much more personalized nutrition which is fantastic because this is the way it's got to go we're all different and there is no such thing as one size fits all it'd be so boring if it was wouldn't it do you know what i would really like to see actually and i don't think it's gonna happen anytime soon but what i would really love to see in even in general practice, whether you're going private or whether you're going through NHS, what I would really love to see is proper overall health check regularly for people, especially when you get to a certain age. Um, but anytime, even if you need to book it privately, I'd like to see full microbiome check. I'd like to see full mineral and vitamin profile so you know what you're lacking. And I don't mean just the um, superficial blood tests that you get done at your GP practice. I mean what's stored in your bodily tissues because that's sometimes the blood checks, regular blood check doesn't pick up on that. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to see full hormone profile for both males and females as a regular kind of practice to know what you need to work on mm -hmm. because all of this can be addressed through food. Yes, it can. Absolutely, it can. And that, what you're talking about there is functional medicine, which is what I practice and what nutritional therapists practice. And also there is a, you know, the word that it's been given is lifestyle medicine. It's so much more than that. And I think that, unfortunately, right now, those tests are really expensive. And that is the, the big factor with it. Um, you can, there are ways that you can get them done and they are widely available. But... That would be amazing. And I think hopefully it will I don't think it'll be in our lifetime, but hopefully the next generation, maybe, you know, we this generation, we are making inroads to this. There is such a health crisis right now. We are not a healthy nation. We are not a healthy world. Something has to give. And I think we're just seeing the beginnings of that now. We are seeing um people like Dr. Chatterjee, for example, who is working to try and integrate functional medicine with conventional medicine. So even in medical training, there's no nutrition, nutritional training. And yet people are, and I still hear this, my doctor told me not to eat that, you know, or my doctor told me to eat all bran. And I'm thinking, so it's a very difficult thing as a nutritionist, especially when I'm coming in maybe to do a talk to a community group or in a workplace and somebody has been told by their GP, you need to eat. Let's take all brand as an example, which is totally crap. You might as well eat the box. It'd be better for you. But just as an example. So me coming in and I meet this person in one workshop. That's very difficult for me to give them an argument. Well, it's usually, often they do believe me, but it's very difficult to give that person a different point of view when they've heard from their GP who they know and trust to eat this highly processed, high sugar cereal that is probably not going to do their gut very much good because it's so high in gluten and, and, and you know, too much wheat. But you're kind, we're kind of up against that as well. But people still, we're, we still have that mindset that what the doctor says goes. And I do think that there is a real shift. I think people are taking so much more responsibility for their own health and their own well-being. And I think that they are questioning a lot about well why are you giving me that and why do you want me to eat that and that can only be a good thing 
think there's also a shift happening in terms of um, the GPs themselves. And I do feel sorry for them because, A, they have 10, 15 minutes to assess somebody, mm -hmm. which is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. You need an hour and an hour and a half to really get to the root of what's going on. And B, they don't get the appropriate training to actually, and plus they're they're required to do too much. Yes, they are. And know too much, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, exactly. While the very core of all the issues, which is nutrition, is the one thing they never train in, which mm -hmm. to me seems ridiculous. But I have to say, I nearly fell off the chair the last time I went to my GP and she said to me, I should take probiotics. Wow. I, I, I must have, Great. my jaw dropped right to the floor. I was like, what? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, so that was, that that blew my mind. So something is happening. Yes, big time. But um, yes, all these tests that I think are essential to really monitor our health, Um. They are expensive, but wouldn't it be great if instead of pouring thousands and thousands of pounds into prescribing mindlessly antidepressants, antibiotics and other crazy medication that people don't actually need, yes. the NHS would invest into tests like this that would not only give the person overall picture of where they're at and how they can address a lot of the issues, but for preventative health, that it would actually save the NHS money. So isn't it worthwhile, in my mind, to invest into tests that hopefully will get cheaper in time, but pay thousands of pounds for testing people Yes. instead yes. of pouring thousands of pounds for prescribing medication that people actually don't need to take a lot of the time and also we're not deficient in the medications are we we're yeah. deficient in minerals we're deficient in vitamins we're deficient in essential fats we're deficient in our probiotics probably and we maybe have an imbalance and all of that is about prevention and about preventative health care absolutely and i do think that there is a sea change on its way and i think that you know, there's real pioneers and there's real people who are really forward thinking and who are moving this thing forward. And that is fantastic. And the more, the other thing about this that I would say is when I first started practice and I moved back to Northern Ireland in 2001, there was nobody else practicing nutritional therapy. Nobody. I was the only one. Now that has changed and there is a lot more awareness about Prevent, preventative healthcare, there's a lot more awareness about lifestyle, there's a lot more awareness about what we can do to help ourselves and I think that's fantastic. The more of us who work in this field, the better and the more that we can encourage people to understand that we can take responsibility for our own health, we can find out what is going on inside our own bodies, what our hormone balances are, what our mineral deficiencies are, what our microbiome is like, and also what that really means. And the other thing about the microbiome is, this is the tip of the iceberg. The bacteria that we are finding out about that are in living residents in our gut have got so much potential. And, you know, there's, there's new discoveries all the time around food and nutrition, but also around the microbiome. And there's a lot of research going into that at the minute that is just mind-blowing about how our friendly bacteria and our unfriendly bacteria can have a huge impact on our well-being. Yeah, and I, I think it is important to have at least some knowledge of this for everybody to be able to take responsibility of their health. And it will have a knock-on effect on, on the NHS as well, since we touched on, on the NHS, because the more responsibility we, responsibility we take on ourselves, the less overcrowded the GP practices will be, the more time the GPs might have to talk to patients who actually really need their help. Yes. And we all will be better for it. And, and everybody can, can do that little bit to keep themselves healthy. You, you don't... People don't realise, but a lot of the time, the pill is really not the answer. No, it's not. And the other thing that I think and, and love about nutrition is that, say, for example, what we talked about earlier, about if you are given a diagnosis of whatever it is, nutrition can help you feel empowered. Because I would do a lot of work with small, with cancer charities and small, small groups of people who are going through, either going through treatment or at the end of their treatment. And the way that I try and get them to look at nutrition is 
Nutrition is something you can, your diet is something you can do and change to help yourself. All the other stuff that's going on, you've got no control over often, but the food that you eat, you do have control over it. And it's that feeling of empowerment and, right, this is it. I am gonna do something to help myself. And it doesn't have to be a cancer diagnosis. It could be that you've got a cold and that you eat better and you feel better and that cold doesn't last as long as your friends or your partners or you know because you know how you can nourish yourself to reduce the the intensity of that it's pretty powerful stuff isn't it this food thing totally <laughs> it is totally it is. i actually had no idea that you work with um cancer charities as well and i absolutely love that because that's one of the thing i would really like to get into in terms of research i really think that we need to look at um Specific, well, not just for cancer, but but cancer is my interest in particular. How nutrition can help, together with things like stress relief and and mindfulness and and herbal medicine, together with the conventional treatment of cancer, to actually really heal people. And also, it is complementary and not alternative. I think that's really important, and I think that's also the mindset has changed that you don't you don't hear the word alternative medicine as much these days as you used to it has to run side by side it has to run parallel and i think that you know we know so much more now about how foods and nutrients affect different medications for example and um, any drug nutrient interactions and we know so much more about that that we can kind of guide people in the right direction with it that's so great. It's just so great to be talking to somebody like you who's been doing it for years and really seeing the change. And it's just, it's really positive and I, I absolutely love that. It is totally positive. And I feel that, honestly, I was talking to somebody about this just around Christmas time and both of us have been practitioners for, well, me since since here, I've been back here since 2001, but I trained in 1991. And um, for her, she is a herbalist, and she has been tra- she's been working since ninety one as well. And we were just saying that at that time you were kind of it was all a bit weird. It was all a bit left of center. It was all a bit alternative. You were a bit thinking outside the box, and now it is gradually, gradually, gradually becoming mainstream. So if, if we look back at another, if we're sitting here another twenty years, imagine what is going to happen. You know this explosion of interest and explosion of research and explosion of knowledge about food diet nutrition the environment exercise how we move our bodies all of that there is a huge there's a the changes are coming (laughs) you know what i would really like if maybe in 10 20 years time hopefully sooner than that i would really like like that if you walk into your tb practice and you get diagnosed with something or you get sent to a specialist for a diagnosis the the doctor in charge would maybe look at what the diagnosis is and go okay we also need to book you an appointment with a nutritionist yeah and you should see a herbalist or um, you need to uh, we need to prescribe you um, a few sessions of um, stress management yeah do you know integrative like, medicine exactly. yeah that's yeah. what needs to yeah that's what needs to happen it is happening I'd love to see it is that. happening slowly slowly it is happening there's one particular thing actually talking about stress management we touched on stress and how it can impact on health one of the things that I feel isn't really talked about but I think it's happening everywhere and especially with the rise of veganism I'm sorry I don't mean to pick on you vegans but this is something that I've noticed recently specifically unfortunately in with connections to veganism is diet shaming And and I feel that has a massive impact on people's stress and it's not something we really talk about not something many people would maybe recognize but I feel that especially in social media are just a bully playground to me have you come across 
um, that in, in your practice and what's your take on it? Yeah, unfortunately I have with all different, as you say, all different types of diets and all different, all different opinions and I think that you know, we're very, we're very quick to judge other people. And, and the other thing I would say about this is it's not just members of the public. It's not just on social media. It's, I, I have clients and one of the things I get them to do is do a week's food diary before I see them one-to-one. And sometimes people don't fill that in because they go, oh, I forgot. And then whenever you talk to them after a while, they're saying, actually, I didn't really want to fill that in because I didn't want you to see what I had eaten. Because I, because the person, the client felt like I would think that it was wrong or bad or, and I just, I just feel like we've gone, we've lost the plot a wee bit. And, you know, no matter, like I said earlier, no matter how, no matter what your diet is, we've all got habits. We've all got good habits. We've all got bad habits. You know, whether you're a nutritionist or whether you are a junk food addict it doesn't matter there's going to be there's got to be good things in there somewhere there's got to be bad things in there somewhere and it's about balance and I think that the whole idea about food shaming is there is enough fear around food and there is enough guilt around food without that and it's very hard when we are under all these pressures you know especially I guess in January when all the headlines are about vegan URA and about dry January and about detox this and about the types of diet that we should be following. All we can do, if we feel that we are under under pressure by whoever it is to change our habits and change our diet to fit in with somebody else's ideal, is really think about what what is important to you, what your views on it are and that's really hard when you're getting all these messages from everywhere about what whatever the thing is whether it's sugar or fat or whatever and I think just be as informed as you possibly can and maybe go and talk to somebody who is you know join a workshop or go on a webinar but but get somebody that you feel that you can trust and that will give you a balanced opinion and inform yourself as much as possible so you can make your own decisions and if you're following somebody on social media who is food shaming you unfollow them (laughs) I just think it's you know it's so difficult and we live in an age where there's so much pressure to be perfect nobody's perfect nobody nobody is lives an Instagram perfect life no matter what their Instagram pages tell you and I think that it's about kind of a lot of it really is about your self-awareness and about being as as true to yourself as you possibly can and also I guess get back to how does that food make me feel getting back to connecting with your food getting back and cooking your food getting back and maybe not necessarily growing your food if you don't if that's not for you but you know thinking about where your food comes from and just kind of the more connection we have with our food the less that food shaming is going to impact us and the less it's going to make us wobble I think it's a hard one it is a hard one isn't it um have you seen anyone being really impacted by like food shaming because I can't imagine surely it must have an incredibly negative impact on one's mental health absolutely it can and I think that that is something where you know if if I if I am talking to somebody in that position and it is has got to an extreme perhaps that they are so scared to eat in front of friends or so scared to talk about talk to their family about what they're eating what I would encourage them to do is go and talk to somebody that can help them so I would refer a lot of clients for counselling um, and also I would work with or, or I would refer to people to counsellors who have specific training in food and um, dietary patterns so kind of trying to take the fear out and the shame out as much as possible. You can't really do anything about the people around you and how they're imp- how, what their attitudes are, but you can learn techniques to make yourself a little bit stronger and a little bit more resilient. And that's the bit where I will get other support for that client. That's good. I think that's great advice as well, um, because a lot of the time... Um, I think it can be incredibly helpful. And also, I think just... The st- don't be afraid I guess to stand up for yourself mm-hmm. it's um, I 
I think a lot of the time, the fact that we are being food shamed, it, it's not our issue. It's the problem of whoever yes. is food shaming us. They have issues. Yes, that is right. And that is usually what you'll find is that it's not, it's not you. It's not, you're not the one where you're getting, you're not the one who is causing the anger and the whatever, whatever the emotional reaction is. That is coming from something, the issue with the other person. Yeah. But it's hard when, when you're getting that from someone to remember that and to acknowledge that, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's also a, a lot, uh, those who do food shame, sometimes I think, or maybe actually a lot of the time, they mean well. They're yeah. just going about it the very wrong way way yes it's usually the people that care about you the most yeah yeah and they're just doing it completely wrong so maybe guys if you're listening and 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 if you are guilty of food shaming you know try to encourage and support and go by example instead of pointing the finger because that's going to have the very opposite effect from what you want to achieve and even just something as simple as if you feel that you can talk to the person you know, quietly in a different environment about why you're making the choices that you're making. Sometimes that can help as well. And then they can put their point of view forward, but in a more taking the heat out of the moment, you know? Um, (laughs) So maybe, maybe not around food, maybe when you're out for a walk or the thing that my, my dad used to do when I I was growing up and maybe I had done something that I shouldn't have done. He would, or he had to talk to me about something. He would get me in the front of the car and we would drive somewhere so we didn't have to look at each other. So that's quite good. Go for a walk with the person <laughs> or a drive. You don't have to, no eye contact. And then you can be more honest. There you go. <laughs> There's another tip for you. <laughs> no, it's it's definitely something that I feel that needs addressing and I'm, I'm really glad that we touched on it. And um, another thing we kind of touched on a little bit was... Um, the corporate nutrition. It's something you specialize in and you make tailor-made programs. And how did that come about? Was it something that you wanted to do from the very start or is it just something you kind of fell into? No, I wanted to do that from the very start. So after I did my food science and then my nutritional therapy, I went and did a teacher training course after that um, because I just love working with groups and when I moved back here, I was really lucky that it was kind of one of those things being in the right time at the right place and knowing the right people, you know. So I met this woman who um, was setting up a new program for the civil service at the time that was called HealthWorks. And she wanted to de- develop a two day course and she wanted a half day nutrition session. So I knew that I c- could deliver her a plan and deliver a really good session. And so that went on. I think we did that for maybe about six years or something like that but off the back of that then I just I just knew that I wanted to do much more teaching and training and and working with people in the workplace and the other thing that I am really passionate about is working with people who work shifts because that's a whole other game isn't it tell me I have just started (laughs) so and there's different ways that we should eat if we are working shifts because of your circadian rhythm but that's a whole other that's a whole other podcast but it's something that I have definitely had a real interest in and I just love working with groups of people and I love going into workplaces and going back a month late month later or three months later and people saying do you know I made those little changes and I feel so much better or even better going into their canteen and seeing on their menu that their menus have changed in the canteen or that in the cupboards in their staff room they've got different foods and different foods that are going to make them feel good and function well and that's just that's so rewarding you know that is why I do what I do to make people feel as best they can and and use nutrition in a way that they feel that it's not somebody telling them off somebody telling them you have to eat your five a day, otherwise you're in trouble, you know, or um, don't eat that chocolate bar, or it's all about balance and it's all about the small changes. But I really love working with different workplaces and, I, and sometimes I work with very small workplaces and I will have a group of maybe eight or ten people. And other days I could be in a workplace where I'm working with a group of 50 or 60. So obviously that, how the, what we do in those workshops are really different Sometimes I do cookery demos as part of it. Sometimes it's just a workshop. But the one thing that remains the same is always about A, encouraging people to make positive change and B, making it 
interesting and fun and positive and just a nudge, just a nudge in the right direction. That's enough, you know, just kind of steer your diet in a little bit of a different direction week by week and it really does make such a difference. I like your positive approach. <laughs> it's so great. I wish I had somebody like that when I was going through my changes because I was absolutely desperate and lost. I wish we knew each other then. <laughs> <laughs> it would have definitely helped. Um, it, it does sound completely different from the typical one-to-one -one personal approach. And, and I guess in smaller groups, groups, you can still keep it sort of personal, but in bigger groups, it's it's really more... What it's the more, label says, it is more corporate. Yeah, it is more corporate and it's more general and it's not that individualized nutrition. On saying that, sometimes people will come up at the end and they will say, could you help me with A, B or C? And of course I will steer them in the right direction. And usually if, depending on where we're working, I'll refer them on to maybe a local nutritional therapist where they can get more support. Um, but it's a very different thing. But I also think it's important for me as a, practitioner to still see clients on a one-to-one -one basis because I learn so much from my clients and what I learn in my practice and my one-to-one -one practice is very different than what I learn in a group practice you know and and I think the other thing about the groups is that whether it's with a community group or whether it's in a workplace people encourage each other and people are generally generally want to see each other kind of thrive and survive and especially if it's a very you know a lot of um a lot of workplaces work with people like chest heart and stroke for example or maybe have mindfulness practitioners in and their their workplaces are really thinking differently about working well now and really supporting their staff as much as possible because they are asking a lot of their staff these days so there's you know perhaps um workplaces where a lot of people have been laid off so people are working longer hours or there's more pressures on and just these small small changes that they can bring in just help people to cope a little bit better and it goes that back to that idea eat real food Real food for real people. <laughs> real food for real people. I think that's the one constant that applies across the board. It it could be different type of food for everybody as yeah. long as it's real, pure yes. and natural. I think so. And I think it should be different for everybody. Because I think if we did all eat the same thing, we wouldn't have all those amazing ideas and recipes and flavours and different cultural aspects to food. And, you know, it's food really... Food can, as well as we talked about how food can divide people, I guess, but food can also bring people together. What about yourself, I guess? Because you've been helping for most of your career, other people mm -hmm. with their diets and, and, and lifestyle and helping them be in the better and healthier versions of themselves, do you remember to keep yourself healthy what is your diet like well I kind of feel like I have to keep myself healthy because I am so busy that if I eat, if I ate crap food and if I ate loads of carbs and loads of sugar I couldn't do what I do so I need I feel like it's kind of part of my toolkit you know it's part of my part of looking after myself it's the food that I eat it's my downtime it's my exercise and I don't exercise for to look amazing I exercise for my mind for my stress but my diet is low GI relatively low carbohydrate but not no carbohydrate and I do intermittent fasting as well so some days I will do um it's usually like a, tw a 10 I eat within a 10 hour window most days some days it's a 12 hour window and actually that would be for example if I've had for example this week I've had three late nights so I've had been north, south, east and west of our small province this week and I woke up this morning and normally I have breakfast around maybe 10, 11, something like that and I just woke up this morning and felt I need to have breakfast, I cannot, I can't, I don't have energy to, I need something to kind of give me a wee bit of kickstart and I did have breakfast so I'm not totally strict, let's put it like this, if I set myself rules I want to break the rules. <laughs> Are for, no? Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of have ideas that I like to eat within a 10 to 12 hour window. Um, 
and I like to eat a low real as low sugar as I can and I like to have protein every time I eat and I like to eat whole foods and I like my organic veg box from Helen's Bay and you know and I like in the in the right times of the at the right time of the year not in the depths of winter but we do grow a lot of our own veg we've got quite a small garden but we grow our own stuff and it's just yeah connect to earth and connect to our food as much as possible and no matter how busy I am I will cook something but the way that I try and work it is batch cook so you'd set up your slow cooker so I will make something like what did I do this week so I might make like a big tray of roasted vegetables and I'll have some of that for dinner with maybe salmon tonight and then tomorrow I'll have that for lunch with maybe grilled halloumi or something you know so um one it's like one pot wonders that do two or three dinners what is your favorite vegetable so this question i have been thinking you know when i've been driving north south east and west all over this little province i have been driving along thinking about that a lot this week actually (laughs) is it really believe it or not that's a really hard question (laughs) (laughs) so one day i think monday it was beetroot and then tuesday it changed to kale and then it was celeriac because that was in my veg bag. So I have decided. Well, I haven't really decided. I don't know. I don't know. And then I thought also maybe it was cauliflower because I love roasted cauliflower. Oh. <laughs> but but for the purposes of this podcast today, this is a Friday we're recording this on. I think today my favourite vegetable is. I think it's got to be cauliflower today. Oh. Yeah. I haven't had cauliflower yet. I think. Oh. So, cauliflower. My favourite way to cook cauliflower. Cauliflower cheese is pretty good, but, you know, once you've had roasted cauliflower, cauliflower cheese peels into insignificance. (laughs) (laughs) So the way that I do my cauliflower is, I, depend on how, you know, delicate I'm trying to make it, but I might make it into cauliflower steaks, cut it in quite kind of inch chunks. Or if it all falls apart, then it's not meant to be cauliflower steak. So whatever way it comes out, you know. And then I will put, um, we've got a bay tree outside. So I will chop maybe three bay leaves really, really finely. Chop them up and sprinkle it over the top. Fresh? Fresh. I know, isn't that bizarre? Actually, you eat the bay. But it's so gorgeous. So chop that up. And then sometimes I'll put maybe a bit of thyme on there as well. And sea salt, black pepper, olive oil. Stick it in the oven, maybe about, let me think what temperature it is, about 170, 180 for about 30 minutes. Check it so it's not, let's just say over ovened, right? <laughs> you know, and then put it in for another 10 minutes or so. And then when you bring it out, do some lemon zest and lemon juice over the top. Oh. It's so good. you got to try it. Oh, my God. I never thought to use lemon zest with cauliflower. And mm. I use lemon zest with everything. Well, with never cauliflower, it's it gorgeous. Out. And especially with that bay, where you chop the bay really finely. And you actually eat. Because you know normally you put a bay leaf in, and then you take it out. Yeah. But this, you actually eat the bay. It's good. Oh, my God. <laughs> that sounds absolutely delicious. I'm by Oh. Damn, I think I just missed my partner when shopping to Helen's Bay for our veggie shop. And I don't think cauliflower was on the list. I'm going to have to grab some. Before I let you go, Jane, one last thing. If people would like to either get onto one of your workshops or webinars, or if they would like to have one-to-one or um, approach you Mm -hmm. for any inquiries what is the best way to contact you and what's the best way to book a session or workshop with you okay well first of all i'd be really happy even if anybody is sort of thinking about maybe training in nutrition or wants advice whatever i'm always my doors are always open to to help people but um so the best way to get in touch is either on my website which is vitalnutrition.co.uk or you'll find me on Instagram as vital.nutrition and you'll find me on Facebook as Vital Nutrition. And also there's lots of webinars coming up, so I will do a lot of online classes. The next one that's coming up, I think, is probably we do a weight loss one called Fat Blast. There will also be ones this year on stress and anxiety. There'll be sessions about um women's health we've got a menopause event coming up there is so much coming up in the diary um so keep an eye because there's lots of exciting happenings this year it sounds like it, yeah definitely. i'll have to keep an eye out yeah do i'll let you know another thing is you also have a couple of books out 
yeah if people would like to have a look what your books are about and if they would like to maybe buy a copy okay so you can get a copy on Amazon or on my website if you go onto the website actually you'll see some sample pages on there um, and the first book is a cookbook the Vital Nutrition cookbook and that's got over 50 low GI recipes with everyday ingredients nothing nothing too weird in there and the other one is called Vital Nutrition and that is almost like well the, the reason I wrote that book is because you know your car comes with a car manual that tells you how to look after your car yeah well, I wanted to write a book that was like a body manual, a nutrition manual <laughs> for the human body. And my clients helped me to write that. So they came up with all the ideas. So there's ideas in there about, for example, digestive health, energy, how to get off sugar, all loads of stuff, sleep and all sorts of things. So and that's more like a nutrition information book. So both are available on Amazon or on my website. And yeah, check them out. And if anybody wants to get in touch, I'd be more than happy to point you in the right direction with any question, whatever it is, in terms of health, diet and nutrition. That's great. Thank you very much, Jane. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, it's um, been lovely. Thank you so much for inviting me on the Sweet Spud podcast. <laughs> um, thank you for, for coming on. And um, I might actually approach you again for... An episode about uh, shift working. That would be amazing. That, I'd love to do sounds, that. That sounds like something that I'd like to talk about and something that's not talked about yeah. as, as much. Um, and I think there could be a lot of value in that. So um, watch this space because that might be something. If you'd be up for it, Absolutely. I'd love to. I would love to do that. Yeah, definitely. Well, <laughs> thank you it. for now and hopefully I'll see you soon. Yeah, let's hope so. See you soon. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> One thing I would like to mention with regards to our a little bit gloomy topic of diet shaming is that I am well aware that this is not just an issue of veganism. And I do realize that that's exactly how I may have come across. But that is not what I meant. So if it seemed like I blamed the vegan community for diet shaming, please be sure that is not absolutely not what I had in mind. And in fact, I have witnessed on multiple occasions non-vegans food shaming those living the vegan lifestyle and it's not okay. It's not okay either way. We should all be compassionate with one another regardless of what we eat. And if we wish to make our friends and family healthier, let's just go by example and let's help them make healthier choices by supporting them. Finger pointing and shaming never achieved anything other than resentment from the person we shame. So let's try kindness, patience and understanding instead. And you never know, it might just work. The other thing I'd like to point out is that a lot of the time food shaming comes from within ourselves. A lot of us like to judge ourselves too harshly. We point the finger, get angry with ourselves, and we aren't patient enough with ourselves. And that can cause us harm without us realizing we are by mile the worst judge and the worst enemy we have. We're looking for perfection, which doesn't exist. And like Jane said, nobody's perfect we can only do what we can do, so let's make it our best. And if we struggle, there are always people willing and ready to help. As we mentioned, food or diet shaming can be detrimental to our health, both physically and psychologically. So if you know anyone who struggles, offer them a helping hand and point them the right direction. If you are the one who struggles, please reach out. If you'd like to speak to Jane, whether it's about diet shaming or if you'd like help with your nutritional needs or anything else, nutrition and diet related, Jane can be contacted via her website at vital-nutrition.co.uk or through social media as Vital Nutrition. You can also email her at jane at vital-nutrition.co.uk. I hope we will soon get a mental health specialist on with a particular focus on food disorders, diet shaming and so on and we'll be able to give you more tips and contacts in case you or anyone you know need some advice in this area. 
And as for Jane, I really hope to get to chat to her again sometime because there is so much more we'd like to cover. And if you'd like to try her recipe but can't remember quite how to make it, you can find it as a downloadable PDF in the file section of our Facebook public group page, The Sweets Put on a Farm. You can also get it on our Instagram. And if you enjoyed this episode or found it valuable and think that some of the information could help someone you know, please like, share, tell your friends and family and please rate us on iTunes or write us a short and honest review. To put this content together takes many hours of work and all of this is free. So if you do like what we are doing, please leave us a comment or rate us. That is all I ask in return. Another way to help us is to buy our cookbook, The Sweet Spot, Feast Your Way to a Healthy Gut, which is available in paperback on Amazon or via personal order or in digital form via iBooks. And a one pound from each paperback copy sold goes to local mental health charity, Mind Your Mate and Yourself. Have a lovely week. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to others. And surround yourself with people who are kind and understanding. And whatever you do, stay healthy. Until next time. As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot. Music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening. Thank you.